This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Hi, this is Jeff Meyer. Welcome back to HITS Canine Radio. Today we have part two of Armin Winkler. I think in the first episode we mentioned that we were going to do part one and part two, but after we recorded this uh, part two, it ran a little bit long. So we've got part two today, and we'll have part three coming out in about a week, week and a half. So sit back and enjoy uh, this. Armin's got a wealth of knowledge. I sure appreciate him coming on and sharing it all with us. Welcome back to Hits Radio. I'm back today again with uh, Armin Winkler. We're doing part two, so we're talking about controlling uh, dogs and developing good control and a balanced mindset in a dog. So if you haven't listened to part one, I'd ask you to maybe scroll back through here and find part one. Listen to that. We spent some time talking about where these dogs are coming from as far as sport, some of the mindset, and then how how you end up with the dog you have. You know, and I thought... Today, we're going to kind of get into some of the nuts and bolts. And when I talk to Armin, there's so much information Armin has, even small nuances that when we first talked about this, Armin mentioned, you know, with the dog that starts looking away, that tells you something. So I'm going to pick Armin's brain a little bit today, and we're going to talk more about getting that balance control, whether you're an agency that that maybe you get, you know, 10, 15 bites in a year, or you're an agency that you might get two bites in your entire canine career, we still want that dog to be clear-headed. We want him ready to work when he needs to, and we want him uh, balanced. So how are you doing today, Armin? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, coming back and talking some more about this. As I mentioned to you last time, we did the maybe a little bit of the psychology of the dog, thinking about where the dog comes from and how, you know, how, how they're bred, some of the sport part of it. Then we started touching about the control and, and some of the dogs. So... That's where I want to jump into today is how do we balance the control? So some of the issues that I think you and I have both seen is obviously dogs that don't want to release. And then maybe the release work, trying to get them ready for certification could then hinder their performance down the road. Same with the recall. We'll see a dog that doesn't want to recall properly. And then at some point, the dog doesn't want to go downfield anymore because he's conflicted. So what are some ways that you have come up with to take the... And, and I don't think we have to say stronger dogs. I think it's the dogs across the, the spectrum still need to be balanced. So what are some ways that you could suggest to our readers about how to keep dogs balanced but still under good control? And what do you look for? Okay, well, I think the first thing that we need to look at is the fact that control, we're talking basically controlling a dog in the apprehension setting, right? In Correct. the aggressive state yeah. of mind, right? So aggression control isn't just outing. People spend a, a ton of time working on a verbal release, but they they teach a much different success behavior before the bite, right? So the dog is kind of fired up, not everywhere anymore, but I still see it a lot. The dog is basically out of control, physically restrained, pulling, snapping, barking, foaming, just in a wild frenzy, right? Sure. And then he gets to go and bite, right? 
So he's not, so not clear-headed at all. Well, he is clear-headed. He's clear-headed about what he wants to do. Okay. And which is fighting and satisfying himself, and he's being rewarded for doing that. The dog bites. The guy kicks him in the ribs, hits him with a stick, whatever. And all of a sudden, the handler changes his mind, and he says, acting like a banshee from hell is now the wrong thing to do, and now you have to stop. Right? It makes no sense because yeah. you're already sending a conflicting message. Sure. And I think if a dog cannot control himself in an aggressive state, then the only way we're going to achieve a verbal out is by some form of suppression and not control. We have to take away some of his power, or we have to take away some of his determination. We have to take away some of his oomph, for lack of a better word, in, in order to get him to comply. And that is the wrong way to do it. Because if you do it too much, you're going to reduce the dog and basically break him down. And if a dog doesn't have a target-rich environment where he works, he's not going to get the real-world successes enough to to bring himself back up into that reliable state, sure, right? Sure. So for me, people need to look at, handlers and trainers need to look at aggression control as a holistic thing. If the dog cannot control himself in a down before he's sent, he can't control himself when he's in a, in a I want to bite men yeah. mental state, right? Yeah. So we accept that, we reward it very often. And then we expect him to control himself when he is already satisfying himself where there's like, he has everything there for the taking and we're telling him to stop when clearly he couldn't control himself before he was sent. In the world that I work in, the dogs have to be quiet. The dogs have to be in a down. The dogs have to be silent and they have to have that kind of control all the time. Okay, so let's jump in right there. Suppose I yep. come to you and, and maybe I've got some issues, my dog's not releasing or whatever. And yep. th is that the first step we're going to work on? Is the down and stable? Yes. The dog needs to, to have a, a physical position mm -hmm. that he can control himself in. You know, people throw the word, I'm almost reluctant to use it. People throw the term capping around everywhere now. I see it yeah, all over yeah. social media. And most people equate capping with obedience. That's not what capping is. No, I agree. I agree with that. Capping is when the dog truly is able to control his own drives and desires and yeah. motivations inside himself. Then you can say, cap yourself and lay down. Cap yourself and sit. Cap yeah. yourself and out. If you can't say cap yourself to the dog, then you can't ask the other thing. Yeah. So, because yeah. how is he going to be able to do that? Right. Yeah, so so we're gonna we're gonna teach him basically to lay down, be quiet, yeah. and what methodology would you use for that? Say okay. say I come so to you and I've got a very high drive dog and he's you know, I'm not I'm not showing you a whole lot of control at this point. Okay. What are you gonna do and what are you gonna present to the dog at the, at that okay. time? So first I need I need to sort of have a measuring stick. I'm gonna let the dog go hog wild crazy, send him on a bike. So I can see what he bites like when he's really feeling everything that he's sure. got going for himself, right? 
And then we're going to start asking him for some control. Okay, so let me, and I want to jump in right there. Yep. The dog goes hog wild crazy. He goes down and now he's biting the guy in a bite suit. What are you looking for in that dog? Obviously, you're looking at the bite, but give me some mm-hmm. of the details of what are you able to glean from the dog's behavior just by doing that? Well, every dog's different, but for sure. each dog we're training, we need to have sort of a set of mental bars, right? So the bite, if he's completely uncontrolled, wild, no restrictions, and he doesn't bite full then, then not biting full is not a an in indicator of a conflict through the control work, right? Uh-huh. If the dog bites full and deep when he's wild and crazy, but he bites less than full and more conflicted after we do control work, then it tells me that the control is interfering with his drive and it's taking a little bit out of him. Okay. Same thing if the dog is growlier or if he's not growly without control, but then he is growly with control. If he's chewy without control, right? Yeah. Then he's then being chewy with control doesn't tell me anything. I need to just sort of say, who is this dog? Who is this dog when he really wants to bite and lets it all hang out and nobody's in his way? Nobody interferes with that. Because once I start the control work, and this is, I think, overlooked entirely, everybody wants to see the control, but there's not enough assessment done on what our attempts on communicating control to the dog does to his mind and his drives and his and his state of mind. Well, no, I agree, and, I agree with you totally, and that's why I'm kind of diving in this a little bit deeper because here's a scenario mm-hmm. in my mind, and, and I think you see it happen a lot, is mm-hmm. that uh, you know maybe a, a guy's been a handler for three or four or five years, and then uh, he or she is now tapped as a trainer. They mm-hmm. get the title. They get a little more training maybe, and then maybe in their area, somebody else comes to them around their area and says, hey, my dog won't release, and you're the trainer around here. So that's the person that I'm kind of reaching out to on this program is one who's trying to do some problem solving. So what yes. you're describing is exactly what I do. Get the dog out of the car. Let's let's work with him a little bit. Don't show me any control. I just want to try and read the genetics of the dog as much as I can. Correct. Yeah. And then I also want to kind of interview the handler. What have you done? What training methodology yeah. did you use? And then I try to take those two and I put them together as best as I can to to try to yeah, do you use an e-collar? Who taught you to use an e-collar? Et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. There's, there's lots of things like that. So then the next thing is, okay, we start control. I started at a bigger distance because I think it's important. But just in the interest of time, I'm going to throw this out there. And I go through this in my lecture about aggression control also. But the reason dogs don't out, every dog all the time comes from one source and one source only. The dog does not know how to be successful in the five to ten seconds after he lets go. Okay. And the dog doesn't care about our success. He cares about his success. Yep. If the dog does not know how to, to have a technique to be successful after releasing, he cannot out. He may out, and we've seen this, you have seen it, I've seen it. The dog outs, two seconds, whack, he bites again. again. So in that five seconds, what do you want that dog's mindset to be? How does he know to be successful? 
Okay, so we need to teach them a technique. You and I, in our earlier conversation, I think before we started taping, was a sport dog. Most sport dogs, IPO, KMPB, stuff like that, they will do out and hold and bark, right? Yeah. And the dog learns that if he lets go and barks, he's going to get to bite again. Yep. For him, switching from biting to barking is switching into another form of engagement that leads to his success again. And he can do that because he's been taught sure. that he can have success by barking also. And he gets back what he wants, which is biting. Sure. Right. Um, so that's important. So I, of course, don't like a hold and bark or any aspect of police work. Certainly not after the out, because then I can't communicate with him and I can't communicate with a suspect and so on. So I don't like it. So my preferred way of doing it is, is a down. A sit is okay, but a down is more stable. So now the next thing I'll do in my training, I want to see what the dog does, say, at 25 yards, if the handler tells the dog to down and we send them on a bite out of that down. I want to see how the dog acts, what his ears are doing, what his tail is doing, what his claws are doing. So and then I want to measure me, me, that bite against that bar setting bite that I did in the early out of control segment. Huh? Let me dive in real quick right there. Sure. So you just to paint yeah. the picture, you've got the decoy 25 yards away. The dog's probably already had a couple bites. You've created a little yep. bit of distance. And the reason I'm going deeper on this is because I think some people don't understand that. You get in a hurry then and you're only thinking about the end game and you're not paying attention to mm -hmm. these fine, fine details. And I think that I like the way that you're describing it because now I'm going to bring that dog back and I'm still kind of evaluating. I'm trying to figure out how we're going to get this dog mm -hmm. to the end game, but I'm going mm -hmm. to pay big attention to when we down that dog, his whole body language. And I think yes. a lot of people don't do that. You know, for instance, I was just training with some guys a week or two ago and it was a small thing, but they were doing something similar to this, but they were stepping on the leash and they were keeping that mm -hmm. leash really tight and not giving mm -hmm. that dog the opportunity to break. And I told mm -hmm. you, you're not training him at all. You're just teaching him to be almost lazy. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. it was, it was creating a problem, but in their yes. mind, I think they were thinking if we don't give him an opportunity to break, we're going to get this recall and this release quicker. And I told him it's actually the opposite. Let him, Correct. let him right. clear right. his own head. So it's those. I, well, he's got to hold himself back. Exactly. If he's not, if he's being held back, he has no incentive to learn to control exactly. himself. And and what, so what was to, happening was yeah, what was happening was this dog was barking and going crazy. When I said yep. give him more leash, I said I don't care if he goes down and breaks. We're training him right now, so give uh -huh. him more leash. All of a sudden, the dog cleared his head because the expectation of the dog, his his purpose now was to be down he didn't have a purpose before it was like i can be stupid i can feel you're holding the leash back i don't have to pay attention to you words when the, yes. when the pressure of the leash comes off i get to go down range so i don't mean to interrupt you but that's kind of what you're describing right you're, you're testing that not yes i don't like yeah, the word and testing, again, I'm, you're, you're you're evaluating okay. the dog from 25 yes. yards and you're watching well and we have to say this we have to say like when the dog is laying down is he laying down with that laser focus still uh -huh. to the decoy? Is he laying down looking at his handler? Is he laying down looking like Stevie Wonder, sort of bobbing his head around? I don't look at anything because I don't know what, what's going on because this is confusing me. Yeah. Is his body looking deflated or is he like a coiled spring? The down is taught many different ways. And most of the time in law enforcement, it's taught like down or else. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's taught a little harshly, maybe compulsively. Yeah. 
it, it's starting to change a little bit now in the industry, but I think it's still taught a lot that way. So a lot of times the down is for the dog a suppressive uh-huh. position. So he feels under thumb when he's in the down instead of being a success position where he says, when I'm a coiled spring yeah. in the down, I get what I want. So, so as a, as a trainer, when you're doing that, you have to kind of, you're analyzing, you know, the dog's body, you're, you're analyzing mm-hmm. prior training, you're mm-hmm. talking to the handler, what have you done? You're trying to figure out, is this a genetic thing? If the dog's, mm-hmm. the Stevie Wonder doesn't want to do it, is this because the dog just yeah. simply doesn't have the drive? Or is it because he's in some avoidance from some of this harsh training? Yeah. So, correct. And, and I just so, throw that in there. Like I said, I'm, I, I want people to, yeah, when correct. they're presented yeah. with this problem, how do I help other handlers? Because we get a lot of that. And then I think people who now have the trainer title maybe don't have enough background on those, the little idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. that will help some success. So, yeah, because again, they probably haven't worked the numbers just yet. Sure. Numbers of problematic dogs. Like if you work 10 dogs and nine of them, like are yeah. easy to do control training with. You're not learning very much. Yeah. The one dog becomes it becomes the dog's fault, not yours as a trainer. If you work a few hundred problem dogs, you're going to learn something. Exactly. So anyway, so the next thing I do at a distance is send the dog, even if he doesn't look. I may try to get him a little bit more excited, but for the most part, I just want to see if he can handle some light stimulation without breaking the down, get his focus on me, send him on a bite, and then compare that bite to the wild and crazy bite to see if it's anywhere in the same ballpark. If it is, even if I didn't totally like the body language, but the bite has not significantly suffered from having to lay down, then I'm going to start changing the distance. And again, conceptually, you have to understand this. When a dog outs, his mouth ends up inches from the decoy's body. If he cannot tolerate being within, let's say, two feet proximity of a decoy and maintain his focus, his down, his self-control, how can we ask him to let go? Yeah. Right? So before I ever ask him to let go, I want to make sure that I can either walk to the dog as a decoy and stand toe-to-toe with him or back to nose kind of thing, whatever. But I want to be within about two feet of the dog and I want to see whether the handler can bring the dog within about two feet of me and then put him in that stable position. And then without trigger, without any help from the decoy, the dog just gets the bite command. And we again gauge how good is this bite. Because if the dog is intact, if the dog is mentally intact and he's as ready, willing, and able to bite when he was pulling, barking, snarling, going crazy, then he can handle that down state. If he cannot, if he needs decoy activation, the down is not at all capping. It is pure suppression, right? And there's a big spectrum from complete suppression where the dog won't bite you at all when he's in the down that close. And a dog that bites conflicted. I've seen dogs that, you know, you put him in a down behind my legs, right? Square in the back, right under my butt. Yeah. You put him in a down. I don't move. I don't say anything. I don't do anything. That's a decoy. Handler says, fast, still, and puck, whatever, right? And the first thing the dog does is physically try to move away from the handler and then bite. Because that whole down, you know, he, he felt that a nuisance. He wants yeah. to sort of escape that whole position. Yeah. For me, the dog should always take the shortest route 
yep. to the bite out of that down. And if he doesn't, that's already an indicator that something is not right with him mentally because he's lost something because of the control we're asking. And then we basically just have to finesse train until the dog can do that. Now, we're working out the command recognition of the word out with toys. We're working it. I'm a big believer in slipping the equipment to the dog <clears throat> because it's a training tool. It's a piece of equipment. Dogs don't get... See, this is... Whenever I get into conversations, I open <laughs> up a can of worms. Like, people are obsessed with equipment fixation. And I don't care. I want the dog to love the equipment. I want the dog to lust for the equipment because it makes it easier for me to create frustration aggression. What I don't like is equipment dependency. So if I don't have any equipment on and the dog shows no interest in biting me, then we have a problem. The fact that he likes the suit better than the naked man, like, I don't care. Because that's never going to be a situation he will face on the street. So, we you, don't, so you, do. you don't mind him liking the suit, and then occasionally you're going to do some civil exercises or muzzle stuff just to make sure that the dog will still perform as you want when there's yeah. not a suit mm -hmm. present. Correct. Okay. It's a, I do plenty of stuff without a suit. The fact that he loves the suit and the fact that he thinks that's his most valuable prize in the world, that's not a problem for me. Um, the I, fact that he, like I will never add to a dog away from a jacket on the ground. I see no point to it. I will never try to tease a dog away from a suit. If the dog wants to spit the suit out and, and come after me, I have no problem with that. If he wants to like satisfy himself by holding onto that, I have no problem with that. If he wants to thrash it for a bit, I have no problem with that. For me, the reward was, say he did a, a really, really nice scenario, I reward him with a jacket. It's his reward. The end. Right, So I won't do that making the dog choose me over the jacket. And then when he finally does it, I see this done all the time. People agitate away from a jacket without the jacket until the dog turns his back on the jacket, jacket back on and give him a bite. Like what does the dog learn? Nothing. It's really, a, it's pointless. Here, here's the thing. We spend months and months and months. A dog from Europe, that dog has already spent like, three quarters of his life or longer learning to love equipment, right? Yeah. And we utilize that. I mean, that's what entices the dog to learn basic bite technique in the first place. I bought a dog last year, really nice dog, really kind of a superstar when it comes to the, to the bite work now. And I saw videos and, and things like that. I really like the dog. I know the dog's genetics. I've had imported relatives of his before. So I, I bought him fairly young. In the first bite session I did with him, I didn't wear a KMPV suit. I wore a ring suit. And I teased him up a little bit. It was on leash. And I just kind of did one of the sheer buys, offered him a tricep. And he just sort of punched it and like, and then he just stood there and looked confused, right? Because he didn't recognize it as a jacket. The dog is a symbol, a monster now. But the thing is, for him biting the KMPV suit, jute and leather, that's what he knew. That was his prey. That's what I bite. And now the ring sport jacket is also his prey, so he bites that also. A winter jacket will never be his prey because we will never teach him that it's prey. So it doesn't have the same value. For me, the, the whole not slipping equipment is pointless. So back to the outing. So when the dog gets his bite, teach him the, 
the success behavior, how to be successful after the bite before we ask him to let go. So I bring the dog really close into the approximate position he will find himself in after he lets go. And we give him the opportunity to bite there. And we do this over and over until he basically holds the down knife, has real good intensity, the bite looks awesome, and he's learning to cap himself in that down. The down itself doesn't cap. The dog has to cap and down at the same time. So there's two things going on here. Sure. Just because a dog downs doesn't mean he's capped. So sure. when I start feeling that the dog is able to hold himself and cap himself in that position, then now I have a technique that if I ask him to out, I can put him into that he's not going to keep making mistakes again and again and again. That's really important, right? And we're doing, again, that's how I got onto the slip jacket sidetrack. Yeah. All this time I'm doing this, I'm slipping him the jacket after the bite. I'm giving him the reward. And then we will out the dog <coughs> off the jacket so that he learns the verbal connection between letting go and the word out. That's important, but yeah. I don't want the intensity to be as high as on a man. I also don't want the psychology of him having to let go of an opponent. Just letting go of a dead piece of equipment is a much sure. lower intensity sure. thing. And then we, we teach him basically an association with out means let go. We do it with toys, we do it with tugs, we do it with balls, and we also do it with dead bite equipment. He doesn't have to not want it anymore. He just has to know that out means open your yap and let it fall out of there. So so we have that. And then so he and has now to, he has to know other. he has to know open your open his mouth and then he's got another purpose now, right? So he's got he's got to lay down, he's got to do something that is going to get him what he wants again, right? Yeah. Well, he doesn't have to do that with a dead equipment. He, okay. he I just want to make sure that he even understands what out means, yes. right? It means let go. And I don't want to do that off the man because on the man, it doesn't just mean let go. It means stop fighting. It means give up. Yeah. It means uh, all those things. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hits Canine Radio. We'll have part three in the final installment of this three-part episode with Armin Winkler coming out in about a week and a half. In the meantime, if you have any questions or want to reach out to myself or Armin, just shoot me an email at jeff at hitscanine.net. I'll pass it on to Armin and we'll probably do a follow-up episode just answering some questions of some of the different things we've talked about. See you for part three in about a week. Thanks. Thanks.